Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. Uh, this is the report number 54. My name is Edison Magalhães here at Iowa State University. Hello, I am Giovanni Trevisan here at Iowa State University. Hello, my name is Guilherme Cesar from Iowa State University. And today we're going to cover the findings uh, from the previous month, the month of July 2022 uh, at the SDRS report. And also we're going to have a discussion with uh, Dr. Marcelo Almeida. He's our invited guest here today at the SDRS. Uh, Dr. Almeida is currently a clinical assistant professor at Iowa State University, serving as a diagnostician in the veterinary diagnostic laboratory. Dr. Almeida uh, got his DVN from the Universidade de Brasília and his PhD in population sciences animal health here at Iowa State University. His PhD was on per surveillance in winning age piglets, uh, and currently Dr. Almeida is investigating APP and E. coli outbreaks in the U.S. So, Dr. Almeida, it's a pleasure for us to have you here today, and looking forward for the discussion. Thank you. Thank you all, guys, for having me here today. So, yeah, let's get started. So, thank you, Dr. Almeida, for accepting our invitation to be part of our show. And before we start our discussion with Dr. Almeida, Giovanni, what are the main findings in the SDRS for the month of July? Well, we are in the time of the year that we usually expect to see less activity of the agents in the field. And when we think about that, the only exception that we have is mycoplasma hyomone that starts growing up the detection at this time of the year, and that's according to the expected and Zucuri. On the other side, if you look specifically for PERS virus, there is this decreasing activity of PERS virus during June, July that's happening at an overall level. But when you look at the regional level, there still be activity of this virus above expected in states like Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota. Those are associated with a more detection of the lineage on C variant strain. So it seems like the strain entered in the beginning of the year was a lower uh, detection during uh, March, April. And then in May and June, it started to have a new wave of increased detection of this strain there. So this is consistent with what we see in the field. And some uh, reporting of uh, the population of breeding herds has been uh, sent to us by the advisory group, and it seems that that's going to help to decrease the detection of this agent. On other regions, like Indiana, for example, we still have increased the activity of PERS virus, and this is due to a different strain from a 174 lineage 1A, a strain that is happening in that region and causing problems in the field. For other agents like PD, PD has been a rot top this year with lots of detections going on in the beginning of the year. We know that there was a regional spread and it is current, the detection is still above expected, most in the Corn Belt region, but else in North Carolina. However, when we see that there is a decrease in detection by PCR of this agent, and looking specifically for a state ICU diagnosed that the number of tissue cases are going down, that is a good signal on the horizon that this may be under control. Uh, if you look for other agent that is caught our attention is influenza A virus, mm -hmm. and specifically detection from the winter market age category. The month of July historically has been the month that with lower overall detection for this agent. But this year we, start, we saw an increased detection occurring in the winter market age category. So there is some reports of some uh, cases of flu happening in, the, in some of those uh, finishing barns that is uh, a typical the, the presentation that may be a contribution for this increased detection. Aligned with that increase for PCV2, we saw a really 
high detection occurring in winter market in the month of June that's consistent with July. So something is going on that could be more surveillance or some clinical presentation of this age that's occurring. It's not clear yet. And from confirmed tissue diagnosis at Iowa State, we had some cases of salmonella that uh, pick up in some weeks. Uh, even though it's very limited number of cases, there was some mobile heart disease. And the feedback that we receive from the device group is that this is consistent with what we see in the field, and that is this continued detection of E. coli in nurses that is uh, occurring uh, over time and still there this uh, problem. Also, some reports of some a case of clinical presentation of elites occurring in the field. So uh, this is a high-level uh, overview of what's happening in the field and lots of different activity across different agents. Oh, very good. Thanks, Giovanni, for, for the updates from the previous month. And now we're going to move forward to our conversation with Dr. Almeida. So at Dr. Almeida, we're going to focus on outbreak investigation and population-based sampling uh, discussion. Uh, but Dr. Almeida, as Giovanni just mentioned, for example, advisory group mentioning about the E. coli in the field in nurseries predisposing to co-infections with other pathogens. Uh, so you're currently working with E. coli strains that affect the industry, causing losses in, in south farms and nurse, both south farms and nurseries. Could you give us an overall situation of E. coli in the U.S. and what are you investigating regarding the, this pathogen? Yeah, sure. Very good question, uh, Edson. So in the conversations that I've had with uh, different production systems, different vets across the U.S., I think the perception is that we have an increased number of cases, especially post-weaning due to E. coli. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we look at the data generated here at the lab, uh, which does not represent, you know, a prevalence at the United States, but it can give us some trends of what's going on over time. It's very clear that we're having an increased number of cases of uh, post-winning colibacillosis. So just to give you some numbers, for example, from 2011 to 2018, we had an average uh, of uh, diagnosed cases of 326 cases per year. Mm -hmm. And then in 2019 and 20. Uh, we averaged about 540 cases, so we had an increase in there. But in the last year, that was 160 or 862 confirmed cases of uh, post-winning E. coli. So that's almost 60% increase considering uh, the numbers from 2019 and 20. Uh, so you, that's a big jump. So mm -hmm. due to that increase, we kind of started investigating some of those cases along with some uh, vets in the field. And with the help of uh, Dr. Gun Lee here, we uh, did some whole genome sequencing of some strains. And what he found was this new DGEN gene, which is uh, present in cases of human consequence or diarrhea in children, but had never been reported in sick pigs. And that gene is called TIA. And what we're doing now, uh, thanks to some funding from the ASB Foundation and the mm -hmm. Iowa uh, Livestock Advisory Council, is to investigate the role of that gene in post-training diarrhea, if that's contributing to more severe disease, and also what's the effect on, on if the current pro uh, products that we have uh, available for, for controlling E. coli can actually uh, control 
uh, isolates that contain that gene or not. So that's what we, we've been seeing, and that's what we're working on in terms of research with this, these new E. coli strains. No, great. Dr. Amida, just a complementary question. Just like if we are having or facing some E. coli cases in the farms, which kind of samples should we send to get the results and also to isolate and have more information about these strains? So I guess in general, just for enteric challenges, the best samples are samples from pigs that were acutely affected, non-medicated, that you're euthanizing when you are collecting those pigs at the farm because then we have the chance for better preserved tissues for both the histopathological evaluation but also for culture. And then, again, you submit that fresh and refrigerated and also... uh, fixed and we'd like at least one section of colon, make sure you include one section of Eden and uh, four or five sections representative of the rest of the small intestines and that would give us the, a good ability to, to detect whatever challenge might, might be present in those, in those pigs. Oh, great. Those are great information, Marcelo, and thank you for sharing that with the Swine Disease Reporting System audience. That's very much appreciated. And you have been out of the grid doing those, this type of investigation about emerging or re-emerging pathogens. And if we recall correctly, it was at the end of 2021 when we started to see some increased diagno- tissue diagnosis of APP. And you went further with that and started to further exploring and doing some field-applied study in this area of what was going on, a regional uh, area problem that was happening uh, Iowa, more specifically. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing with us what you did learn with that and what is the take-home for the audience about this APP situation that was going on here in Iowa at the end of 2021? Yeah, I think first we would just like to acknowledge Chic for funding a few initiatives to investigate uh, what happened there with APP. And some of our collaborators in that project, which include their, Dr. Daryl Holtkamp, Dr. Gustavo Silva, Isador Machado, Mafada Mil Homens, Ana Paula Silva, uh, Dr. Luna Michael from the VDL here helping with the initial coordination with the production systems, pathological findings, and laboratory findings, and also Dr. Marcelo Gotchak from the University of Montreal and Dr. Anthony Vincent from the University of Laval in Quebec that we're working on genetic characterization of those strains. But like you said, Giovanni, in late November of last year, we started to see some activity of APP in the north-central region of Iowa. And during uh, approximately 60 days, we had 20 cases uh, in a tightly geographical area of about 20 miles radius. And those were involved nine, nine different production systems, and when we started digging in in that, because the veterinarians were curious about uh, how that was moving around in that region, we were able to identify a common serotype, which was APP serotype 15, and, and that triggered some more investigations, right? We contacted Chick, and then that led to the outbreak investigation uh, that was led by Dr. Holtkamp and Machado. And what they learned there during those investigations is that the main um, 
the main factors that could lead to the lateral transmission of APP among those sites that were affected would be related to rendering practices and people movement. So biosecurity failures could be one of the main factors driving the lateral transmission of APP in that region during that time. So right now we are still seeing some cases. Right now we are at 30 cases involving uh, at least 12 different systems. And what we are doing in addition to that uh, initial outbreak investigation, we collected some samples from a site that had uh, that broke uh, to understand the, the post-outbreak dynamics in different sample types and also the environmental persistence of that APP uh, to see if that could be actually one of the factors that's contributing to the transmission of the APP in the area. We are also doing the genetic characterization of those strains, like we mentioned with our collaborators in, in Canada. And what we learned at this point is that the, the strains involved in this outbreak they are forming a distinct cluster within the serotype 15. So showing that's a, a very uh, particular strain that's moving around. So what we're trying to understand now is, is there any um, thing different in these strains that's contributing to, to the outbreak the way we are seeing uh, at this point? Uh, so we're keeping keep digging on 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 that, and we mm-hmm. hope to share some more findings in the future. And the other thing that we are doing is also trying to understand the in vitro stability of this strain compared to the to the historical APP15, and also to a non uh, high virulence strain of serotype one. Those are are great finds and lots of work there, Marshall. Thank you for for doing that. And if I understood correct, that is true big take-homes there. The first one is we need to keep uh, looking for genetic evolution of the agents over time. In this case, it seems like APP find a way to genetic evolve and be more pathogenic for this specific strain. And failures on biosecurity practice and my containment help it to spread the agent across different farms. So that highlights the importance to keep looking for how we do uh, people and animal movement across farms, live or dead animals. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Marcelo, uh, you mentioned that this new cluster for this, the, these outbreaks that occur. So all the outbreaks, the, 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 the strains that you, you guys isolated, were within this cluster? Yeah, there were two, there is, there's at least two different uh, clusters. So the biggest portion, probably uh, 95% of the outbreaks were within this bigger cluster. And then we have a system that had it outbreaks of APP15 that they were a little different than mm-hmm. this main cluster. So that those that, that specific system, they were clustering with uh, historical strains that we had in the U.S. So that might just be a coincidence that the outbreak was happening at the, the same time within the same region. And Marcelo, just another question. Uh, do you think is that anything different that we can do just to improve the surveillance for APP and to avoid to have these cases again in the future? I'm not sure if surveillance by itself. Of course, it's very important to understand what's the uh, status of your sow farm, to take measures even if it's trying to eliminate or repopulate the sow farm with uh, mm-hmm. a clean clean breeding stock. 
but if not, at least understand that the downstream flow may suffer of that disease. And if that's the case, try to work with your neighbors and to increase your biosecurity practices uh, in terms of biocontainment so the disease doesn't spread within the region. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing this information. And just our last question right now, you worked for several years developing the family oral fluid sample type. So could you share with us more about the importance of these two for cell farm surveillance and how population-based sample for pathogen surveillance, how is important that to use this kind of tool for that? Yeah, I guess uh, in the last few years we've had uh, the addition to our toolbox of many different sampling techniques that allowed us to understand the pathogen dynamics in, in, in the population. Uh, and that started with oral fluids, and then we had some evolutions, including processing fluids, the family oral fluids now. Now we're, you guys are investigation, investigating tongue tips, and, and there are others that are out there, right? And what that allows us to do is to include more animals in our... Every time we go do some sampling that allows us to include some more animals or be more representative of the population and and and, and then with that detect uh, the pathogen of interest at lower prevalences and uh, and with that usually we can also test less samples so we can achieve that goal of at, at least monitoring for the same prevalence with fewer samples or uh, increase our probability of detecting a lower prevalence uh, with also fewer samples and, and that allows us on the other hand to also increase the frequency that we can do that sampling, right? And the, all that gives us the, the, the power to improve our surveillance systems by either detecting very, very low prevalences or uh, working on early detection of those pathogens in, in herds that might be naive, right? And with that, that gives us the veterinary the chance to more information to to work and uh, to work with and and and, uh, and uh, make uh, health related decisions uh, to the system, right? No, very good discussion. Thanks a lot, Dr. Almeida, for bringing us this this information. What happened in these previous APP outbreaks? What's happening currently with E. coli? And that was it for this month, guys. I hope hope you guys have enjoyed, and see you guys next month. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.